All right, everybody, welcome back to another look into the... Wait a minute, we've rebranded. We're now the Para Podcast instead of the State of the League. So um, our Twitter's been updated to at Podcast. Um, we're updating the Facebook page and everything else. So uh, we thought that would be a bit of a better um, way of branding considering uh, State of the League's pretty vague, but Para Podcast shows exactly what it's all about. I've um, so, the goalposts when we started decided to change the name. Well, it is what it is now, so you know, deal with it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move straight into this week's episode. This will be the last one for the year. Um, first off, we'll hit the women's grand final review, then into the men's review. Um, then we'll do our own team of the tournament, um, into our match of the tournament, and then in some Eels news, obviously the big signing of Hayne all being confirmed, Paul Kent's take on that, um, the troll at Maitland, and also the Eels touring the um, top end uh, this week. All right, well, let's get straight into it. The women's uh, first match of the weekend on Saturday. Uh, in the women's, we had Australia 23, New Zealand 16. What will you take, boys? It's a good game overall. I mean, as as we've seen in their clashes in the Auckland Nines, you know, they certainly don't hold back. They they rip in and just you know probably hit harder than the men at times. Just just watching what what goes on, and it, it's probably I'd say probably, probably the best game we've seen between the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Ferns since they've started playing. Well, I mean, at least in the last you know three four years, and. You know, I thought Kiwi fans were a bit, un- well, not unlucky, but sort of if they if they'd made more of the chances that came their way, it could have been a bit different. And and then yeah, so that they basically had they had a chance had a chance to to tie it close to the end, but it didn't happen. Australia went length of the field, and Caitlin Moran kicked a kicked a field goal to put the icing on the cake. Yeah, it was a, a very entertaining. Yeah, game. well, I think um, um and like yeah, we touched on. I didn't watch this game, but I saw the last five minutes. That's it. And I just want to, you know, mention that um, we had two people retiring: Stephanie Hancock and Renee Kunst. Now, it's not offensive, but that's her name. So, you know, they retired. They won the trophy, and well done. Um, and so, the player of the tournament for the on? women that was voted mm-hmm. on last week was uh, Fotu Moala from New Zealand. She's a second rower. Um, she had an absolute, <laughs> the worst day of her life on the football field. That poor woman. I'm I'm more surprised, Honey Harimi, Honey or Honey Harim or Honey Harimi. Have you, there's a couple of different ways you can apparently say that, but she's I mean she scored something like twelve tries in you know three games or whatever it was. Or you know, that was like you know some phenomenal um, try scoring feat. Like I mean that was. That was impressive. So I, I, I'm so, and and most of them were all her own doing, you know, not like, not, not take nothing away from Val Holmes and the men's, but you know, a lot of them were handed to him on a plate. Whereas Honey just sort of wouldn't make sixty or seventy meter darts for almost for fun. So I'm surprised that she didn't get it. But you know, Fossum Waller had a that's it. Apart apart from the final, she. She had a fantastic tournament, so... Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing for the final was it, it, it really balanced exemplarily the physicality of the contact with the, the elegance and the speed of the ball movement. Both teams weren't afraid to attack via the edges with, you know, crisp 
lateral movements of the ball, but at the same time, the, they were hitting hard and sort of making them earn the tries of great um, second-phase play and you know just really aggressive play in general. It was fantastic. And, of course, uh, Isabel Kelly, she scored a double on this game. Uh, the, in the first half, it seems that Australia were trying to overplay their hand. They were trying to score off every single play, which I think... Um, or uh, given out some of our finals games at the Eels, that we can sort of uh, <laughs> um, understand what that feels like. It, it's it's the magnitude of the moment, isn't it? It's the, the the gravity of the game that you're in. All of a sudden, you feel like you have to score whenever you've got the ball, instead of just you know working to your strengths, grinding them down, just getting to your kick. If you want to talk about you know, rugby leagueisms. But yes, they, they and in the second half, they appeared to do exactly that uh, with Brigginshaw and of course Caitlin Moran, who's I would. I would have a tip as being the um, player of the overall tournament, uh, including the final, of course, kicking that game-sealing uh, field goal. Um, but I thought her um, second half was absolutely fantastic, and of course she scored a try for... Oh, sorry, that was uh, Brigginshaw who did that jinking run um, to go over in the second half, which was an, another great piece of um, football. Um, all right, did we have anything else to say about this match? Uh, it was good to see New Zealand, you know, not fall to pieces when Australia got the pressure piled on, and um, they made a real game out of it. So it bodes well for the game. It bodes well for the code, uh, for the first or the inaugural Rugby League World Cup. I'm not sure. No, it's not the first, is it? But it's the first to be run side by side with the men's, and they certainly didn't let themselves down in any regards. That's right. It's not the first one because Australia won the last one, but it is the first one to be played as a curtain raiser to the men's grand final at the same venue. Um, so I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of that uh, moving forward. All right, let's move on to the men's grand final, which happened on later that evening. Australia 6, England nil. Um, for a lot of this match, it seemed to be uh, in the balance. Um, what did you guys make of it? 6 nil was the scoreline that we all predicted last week, am I right? Yes. I tipped England. So, ma- ma- maybe six. Oh, boys, six give it to me. Tell me how stupid I am. No, no, uh, no, Brady. I mean, I, I, I said before that I thought if anyone was going to be Australia, it was going to be England, and that. And I, I, I tell you what, in, in, they were probably they were probably um, one uh, Josh Hodgson-sized hole away from really giving Australia a scare that game. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you know, Australia. That, you know, well, not last week because I wasn't here, but the week before, I was saying, you know. If England was going to beat Australia anyway, it was going to be the forward pack. And, you know, and for a while there, Australia was was really struggling to get over the advantage line to stop England from doing the same thing. And, you know, they, they were struggling for a little bit and they were just lucky that they happened to score points and grind out and in their defence. To, the to the shock of no one, England did not get the rub of the green when it came to the 50-50 course in the ruck. Australia yeah. certainly prevailed in that regard, and it probably had an impact on the result. But you know what? I I think that's number one. It's about as good as a final as you can get. And number two, I think you know English English side can take a lot out of that because that's mm. as I said that that that's probably the the hardest Australia's been pushed in a match for what a good eighteen months or two years. Oh, so it, it was such an old school contest too. You know just brutal physical forward play you know both packs just tearing at each other limited opportunities for the backs and when there were chances outstanding cover defense came from the inside to cut down the runners you know real real throwback game and you know and i enjoyed it for what it was but it's such an english game as well but that's where they thrive and they they sort of brought australia into that grind 
and they, they nearly knocked them over for it. It was fantastic. And the spray the spray that uh, Bulldog Graham gave gave uh, a certain individual was fantastic as well. Great feeder, I love it. No, you know, you know, you know what I thought was the, was the even better part is the next day when he, when Graham was asked about it, he said, "Well, he, he basically said, why do I have to remember what I said? I don't remember yeah. it, but and you know, like it's not up to me to." You know, yeah, it, it's emotion. Like you guys don't understand that. I love it. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. In, in a in an era where, and I like professional responses. You know, because it's good for the game and whatnot. In a in a branding sense, but in an era where you get all the politically correct, almost cliche, you know, machine spun out responses from every player, that was quite refreshing from Graham. You know, just oh, speaking yeah. his mind on and off the field. Oh, it was raw, and that's like you know, you don't see enough of it. Like you know, and, and so I I agree with him. Like you know, I'm sure. I'm sure if any one of those journalists was in the same position and they said something in the heat of the moment, like, you know, and they, there, they'd there be like, time, well, look, There I, is a time and place for it as well. I think after the most important match of the international calendar, yeah. he had a right to, to voice his grievances at that time and, yeah. and speak without a filter. If you get too much yeah. of it, it can burn you out, but he did the right thing. So, um, Birdie's, Birdie's take wasn't too far off the mark. That hot take was not too far off. See, this is where England lost. Like, in the 66th minute, uh, Watkins makes a break, he gets ankle tapped. And then in the yes, last five yeah, minutes, yeah. you have Luke Gale, who kicks on the second tackle when they're in the, inside, the, inside the red zone. And, you know, like, that's just probably inexperienced, maybe, or at the, at the big stage, but he just... Why would you kick on second tackle? You know, you've got a whole set in there, 30, and you just kick on second, you know? Yeah. That, that was crucial as much as the Burgess knock-on in the play to ball. Mm. Yeah, Josh Dugan, of all people, coming up with the um, the tournament-winning play. Yeah, it was it was a great ankle tap um, to chase him enough. down. And, um, yeah. you know, spoiler alert, but that's why he's in the team of the tournament. Mm-hmm. As much as it pains me, he played a very good uh, World Cup. Well, him and uh, Holmes together played well, you know? Mm. Yeah. The Sharkies must be licking their lips at that. Yeah, two of their, um, their preeminent outside backs really coming good you know, in the big the big games. But see, it's all right when you're winning. You know, the Australia literally they had no competition or, or tournament. And but when you get to NRL week to week, you know the grind. When they start getting under pressure, that's when you'll see. That's that's yeah, good point. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you can't really well, that's equate. Cert- As I said, that's saying, cert- that's certainly oh, sorry for that. Certainly not, a, certainly not a combo that you want to have under pressure because neither do very well under it. So, yeah, but um, Bertie, Bertie was absolutely spot on about it's difficult to equate the um, the week to week grind of the NRL where yeah. you got twenty six rounds or well, twenty five rounds moving forwards with um, twenty four games, you know, versus a, a star speckled team with a you know much more limited a sample of games. But like I said, Chuck's fans can't help but feel chuffed. At the form of Dugan and um, Holmes. Anyway, is it just me or did Valentine Holmes this tournament remind us about Hayne before he deflected back to uh, deflected to NFL when he played the centers? Like he was on fire and he came back and Hayne Hayne twenty thirteen World Cup was that was when he played for Australia right twenty thirteen yeah yeah in yeah. the centers and the centers I thought had a much superior campaign to Valentine Holmes on the quality of his play as far as his impact from centre versus impact from the wing from Holmes. But both players had fantastic tournaments, respectively. All right, well, let's move on to our team of the tournament for the men's. Um, at fullback, we had Widop, who, uh, of course, moved from 5'8 to fullback midway through the comp. Um, on the wings, 
McGilvery and Holmes. McGilvery's going to be spewing that he signed that three-year deal um, in the Super League because um, there's plenty of NRL teams that are wanting to, to bring him down. Um, then at the centres, Dugan and Michael Jennings. Now, Jennings might seem like a hometown pick, and of course it probably is a little bit, but uh, his tournament before that last game where he squandered a couple of opportunities against England, I thought that was a fantastic outing for himself. Yeah, I think Jenko, you know, you can argue it's a homer pick, but he definitely deserved to be in the conversation. And uh, probably only the English centre, uh, his name, oh my God, it loses me right now. Yeah, yeah, um, would probably be the other one you throw in there. But uh, yeah, Jenko was very strong right through to the knockout stages. And even in their loss to... Uh, sorry, lost to Australia, lost to England. Jen- Jennings played a good game where he just didn't finish off a few opportunities that would have got them over the line otherwise. So I, I think it's a fair pick. And then at five eighth, another hometown pick, Mitch Moses. Um, but I don't think we even need to, you know, uh, try and back this up as not being hometown pick. Um, the reasons were his half play. Uh, it projected Lebanon to a level where you wouldn't think they would be able to perform, especially in that game against uh, Tonga, and then to close out, of course, the game against France. And if you want to really, you know, slap the hometown goggles on, he's probably a a forerunner for player of the tournament in that regard for what he did for such a small team compared to the big boys. Um, Then um, at halfback, Cooper Cronk, uh, probably not his best tournament ever, um, probably coming off not his best year ever, but still... Uh, he's at the pinnacle of that position. He knows it in in and out, and his combination with Slater and, of course, with uh, Cameron Smith um, proved crucial in that grand final as well. Um, then on to prop. Oh, controversial. I, w- I would have thrown Liam Finn into the race for half-back of the tournament for Ireland. I thought the two games that they played, he and the two, the, the, they played and won, that he was... Yeah, the, the small sample size, more than anything else, probably hurt Finn. Well, that, that, I guess that's, 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 that's true, isn't it? The fact, yeah. You know, only played the two games probably, and make the finals. But He deserves an honourable mention. But your point taken, Kronk, Kronk went all the way and you know, Australia won, so... Kronk, Kronk's good. almost the, the default choice, you know. He just plays a rock-solid game every game, yeah. if it's not particularly flashy. All right, yeah. then into props. Another hometown pick in Timmy Manor, but I don't think you can begrudge us that one considering how great his play was again for Lebanon. Not at all. Not at all. I, I, I don't have I don't have the full numbers of all our players, but t- Tim Manor in terms of props, not no no one like playing prop every single game, averaged the most meters of any prop in the entire tournament. So puts into perspective just how good his tournament was. And then of course Captain Courageous, uh, Jimmy Graham for the Poms. Uh, there's a couple of players that could feel hard, hard de- done by, um, especially um, Triple K Clemmer for Australia. He had a great tournament as well. Um, and also Takiaho for Tonga. He was fantastic. So they're two honourable mentions. Yeah, I think Takiaho was like really good this tournament, especially because he's not traditionally a, a, a prop forward. He does dabble in the middle for the Roosters, but there is a, you know, a subtle difference between playing lock and... Uh, I thought you could probably throw in... Uh... Uh, Benchy, what's his name? Ben Murdoch and Stella. He had a decent tournament. You know, he's even got interest from a few clubs in there. He's massive. Another hot tack. Another hot take from uh, our own birdie. Uh, massive, massive unit. Didn't quite cut it in the NRL, so he's gone over the ESL. And he did have a good campaign for Tonga in the World Cup, though. 
he had some um, nasty moves for a big man on the edges. Well, he's yeah. a back rower, you know, as a junior, and he just you know, I went went to England, and now he looks, you know, put on weight. <laughs> the English winters are do that to you, man. All right, and moving on to uh, uh, Hooker, of course, there's nobody else that could have taken it out. Cameron Smith to cap off a fantastic year, but grudge him all you want. Uh, his tournament, uh, his year this year, it's it's probably one of the greatest uh, NRL years that any player could ever put together. I feel like, the, I feel like Brady last year for NFL. Yeah, it was just it was just superhuman. Like you, you, you think this is the week he's going to slow down? Nope, just kept going. I'll be interested to see how many games he missed in the whole twenty seventeen. Well, there was one at one point they were saying that I he'd um, that, he'd done uh, a pec injury and then he was back the next week. <laughs> no, because Cam Smith had so, Cam Smith is that sort of guy that I I honestly think he could. If he broke his leg or broke his foot, he'd miss about a week and then come back. Just because, you know, the sheer nature of, like, just his his desire to be there every week, he would just find a way to play. Hmm. But to answer that question before, I think I'm pretty sure the only games he missed all year were the, the three games prior to the Origin games that obviously those selected don't pick. Well, he played, was it 32 games in 129 this year? That's right. That I saw today? Yeah. Yeah, something just ridiculous. You know, that sort of longevity with the court. And yes, he's technically, his play has slowed down a little bit. He's, you know, dialed back his responsibilities defensively and an attack just a a little bit. But for a man as involved as he he is in every play for the Storm, the, the, the Queenslanders and Australia, it's ridiculous that he has that much of an impact. And that's even before we talk about his impact uh, psychologically. <laughs> All right, before we go down that path, <laughs> um, we'll move on to our second rowers, which were uh, Billy Army Kikau and uh, Cordner. Kikau was fantastic. Uh, I mean, if Penrith don't look at that tape and then say, how do we get this man into our starting team, then they're going to have rocks in their head in their management because he was just outstanding in this World Cup. If, if Bryce yeah. Gears gets the position over here after coming back from the preseason. 10 kilos heavier or whatever it was, it's ridiculous. It's just, it'll be showing favouritism to, you know, the mm. Cartwright name, to be honest. Because Kikau, you know, I'd like to have him at the club. I think everyone would. You know, he's uh, ridiculous, you know. You know what? I just, I don't see it. I, I just, I can't see it. Griffin plays his favourites and that's it. Like, Isaiah... That, that'll be the big knock, isn't it? If Griffin does go down the road of favouritism or incumbency and overlooks him. Oh, well, you see it all the time. Like, I mean, you know, Guys like, like for example, Tyron Peachy, when Cleary was still there, was starting back row. And now, either he plays at centre or comes off the bench because Griffin, I mean, just as an example, you know, just with the favouritism that he plays, but, you know, if Kikau is not playing, if I if I was really on a Kikau, based on that season that I, the World Cup tournament I've just had, and I'm not playing first grade, even though I've just signed a new deal, I'm thinking, you know what? I need to find a place where I'm going to play, play and start. Perhaps, he was so, perhaps the breakout star in, in the context of the NRL. Oh yes, of this World Cup. But it, it's, it's not the first time we've seen it. Like you know, he, the games he played for Penrith last year, he w- he was pretty damn good. And, and this is off the bench as well. 
But what 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 surprised me was he had the lateral agility offensively and defensively to play out wide. Yes. Whereas like he's always been an explosive prop through the Queen uh, through the twenties for North Queensland and then for Penrith in reserve grade. But to have the ability to not only attack explosively out in the edges, but then defend with you know the ability to move laterally without you know giving away big gaps, that was a, a real revelation for me. So I, I hope he doesn't play for Penrith from a Parramatta perspective because I don't want them to be a better team. But it'll be crazy if he doesn't. That was a fantastic. Okay, so we can start after round six. Um, all right, and let's move on to the lock of the tournament. Will our pick anyway? Uh, how could it not be anybody else than? Uh, Jason Taumalolo, another fantastic outing for him after a no, 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 great no, no, no. two seasons, really, together. So, um, yeah, not much more can be said about him. And I think, um, I think it might be. It, I was just going to say it might be an important World Cup for Taumalolo, and maybe in the same vein of how World Cup's been important for Hayne because Tonga almost forced him to take more personal responsibility in leading the team. He led the uh, the the war dance multiple times against New Zealand and then against. Uh, uh, Lebanon and England, am I, am I right? Do you lead the other ones? But they took sort of like centre stage for a, a young team and for the Cowboys that can't, that can only be a good thing as you know, they're, they're moving towards the post-John from first and era. Not quite yet, but it's coming. They're going to need new leaders and as their you know, 10-year marquee signing, he's going to be one of the big ones. Has he made a mistake signing that contract? Because one million I wasn't, I wasn't a fan, that's, no. That's yeah. for 10 years. It, no, it, I, it's proportional. It go, it's a percentage, so it comes up year on year uh, according to the salary cap raise. On on top of the on top of the percentage uh, aspect of it, there's you'd have to think on both sides. There's built-in clauses at certain uh, junctures of the contract to allow them to opt out or at least amend the contract because ten years. That's you know, in the NFL, in the uh, EPL. In any premier sporting code, you don't see 10-year contracts. It just doesn't work. It always ends in tears for one party. All right. Well, that about wraps us up for the World Cup. Uh, thanks for joining us for all of those matches. It was a fantastic tournament. Um, it's great to see those second-tier nations, in air quotes, uh, move out from from uh, their you know uh, often derided position. And I thought uh, there was so much fantastic play and it's so much um, a breath of fresh air for the international t- uh, scene for rugby league. There is there is one last bit of World Cup news is that they've announced some of the, the base guidelines for the 2021 World Cup, which includes expansion from 14 to a 16-team format, which is one of the, the things we've talked about earlier in the podcast with um, pool C and D being somewhat lacking because they're not a, a fully fleshed-out 14 pool. So that's a, a nice little bit of news. And the games will be happening during the week, you know, set on the weekend, so... Yeah, you've got a better flow, got a better flow of games and it allows to... Uh, better probably rest between games for some teams. I'll just say this about the World Cup. I I think moment of the World Cup was, in, in my view, the 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 Fijian hymns. Yeah, just awesome. just yeah. like that's just like you know you literally. I I can't even explain it. Like you just watch it and just just the raw emotion on their face when they're seeing it. Like you can you can tell how much it means to these guys to just. To just be there, yeah, exactly. Like you know, Kevin Nagama crying and all this stuff. Like you know, just just being there is is just like you know, such such a huge honor for them. And you know, for and, a for a bunch of footballers, they can man, they can actually sing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and for Fiji, importantly, making the quarterfinals means that they, along with the seven other teams in Australia, England, Lebanon, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, and Tonga, are guaranteed 
select uh, inclusion for the right. 2021 and, World Cup. So and sorry, just before we leave off, I almost forgot our match of the tournament. So it was broken down to a couple of options. Uh, the first being the women's grand final, which was Australia and New Zealand. And then the England v Cook Islands game in the women's, uh, where the Cook Islands somehow upset England after being flogged in their previous two matches. Um, also in the mix was Australia final against England, 6-0. Uh, Tonga's close loss to England, 18-20. to New Zealand... Uh, sorry... Tonga's win over New Zealand, 28-22 in that uh, last pool game, which had Tonga promoted into the um, the finals in that top seed. And then, of course, PNG 14, Ireland 6, which was another pool game, which was fantastic. Um, and then also, the last one that was in the mix but didn't quite make it to the top was Lebanon 29, France 18, their first match of the tournament um, to, uh, for both of those teams. Uh, which really came down to the wire, and but for a bit of uh, Moses' uh, brilliance, France might have got over the top. Chip kick magic. Oh, sorry, yes, Moses' magic. That's that that has a better ring to it. <laughs> but our t- lyrical words. Uh, but our our match of the tournament was Tonga's win over Lebanon, twenty four twenty two. I think that game epitomised uh, how far second tier nations have come over the last year or two. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of putting it, Hamish. You know, it was very much the tournament of the underdog rising up. You know, the, as you said, the second-tier nations coming good. And there you saw Tonga, who had already shook the world affair, win over New Zealand to qualify top of Pool B, then almost get, you know, shaken to their core by the underdog of underdogs in uh, Lebanon. So it was just an enthralling game, wasn't it? You know, that late surge by Lebanon, they had their opportunity to win the game, and, you know, just had everything. Awesome game. All right, and now with a bit of sad violin, um, we'll be saying goodbye to Rugby League for the rest of the year until we get into the trial matches next year. Cut. All right, well, now let's move on to the news. Um, There's some big news to start us all off, but first we'll... He's back, officially. Cue the music. I'm coming home. <laughs> I'm coming home. That old poor tell, pant, I'm coming I tell, home. I tell you what, now look, almost regardless of how he turns out on the field, signing him has been almost worth it purely for the backlash, both uh, so on the social media side and from poor Kent. It's been amazing. Oh, my God. Just I've, I've said it before on, on, on this podcast on, on Hang Himself, you know, I'm glad he's back, has all the talent in the world, no matter where he plays in the back line. I just hope he doesn't try to make it about him. I just hope I he think... can. I just hope he can come into this team and realize, be a, be the bigger man and say, you know what, I'm not the man anymore. This is this is BA's team. I need to work with him, do what he says, and just help this team, help this team and my teammates. Like, you know. Not you know Norman and Moses and you know Gutherson, the guys that are constantly think, standing up and just let them. You I know. think my answer is twofold to that. In that a the locker rooms changed significantly since Jared departed at the end of 2014. We didn't have our identity back then, and since then you know under Brad Arthur, under our emergent stars like Corey Norman, like Mitchell Moses more recently, but you know Clinton Gutherson, Bevan French, uh, Daniel Alvaro, all those guys that are contributing 
there is a character that wasn't there before, which means that there's not the space for the alpha alpha male that Jared was at Parramatta back in his earliest stint. And B, I think that 2017 and even 2016 to an extent would have been a humbling experience for Jared. It was very much him versus the world. He went to war with the Australian media and that didn't go well for him. And a lot of the, the problems at the Titans, while he contributed significantly to them, I think he became the, the focal point, the sort of like, it's all his fault. It's you know Jared's fault that Neil Henry was sacked. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend they didn't have a huge part in Henry getting sacked, but I think there was a lot more to it behind the scenes in regards to the play all, group all, and the management. And all, so, points ta- I, I, all points taken, no doubt. Look, and, and as I said, I I want to be, well, not proven wrong, but I, I, I kind of like, you know, I, I do want to see Hain, you know, come into this environment, this different environment, and just you know, adapt and, 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 and realise all of that. And, you know, look, I hope he does, because as we've seen, the year, the year that immediately follows the World Cup, he is like, you know, yeah, the, like it, literally it a game-breaker. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's twice, like, you know, two, 2009 and then 2014, you know, we saw what he can do. So... It's, As it stands, I'm keeping my expectations quite reasonable with Jared. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, I'm not expecting Delhi in form. If he gets anywhere near that, that's a huge coup for Brad Alpha and Parramatta. But we need a, I think it's safe to say that with Semi gone, you need a difference maker in the back line. And Jared's one yeah, of the few guys that can be that man. Well, I'm happy he can sign the NFL board board. You know, so, <laughs> there we go. But on a serious note, you know, he could, you know, if he becomes like Jenko and work on his defense, because now Jenko is one of the best defending centers in the game, I reckon. So if he works on his defense, his attack will come naturally. But just his defense, because it's center, um, he hasn't played much there. So. I, I tell you, who I'm, what I'm very interested to see interaction-wise is how Hayne and our new um, high performance manager Lachlan Wilmot uh, work together. Because one thing even though Jared's been notoriously a bad trainer, he's very technical about his, his own personal running mechanics. He's always been heavily involved in that. And Wilmot's taken a very hands-on approach to the biomechanics of the entire Parramatta Eagles uh, squad. So it'll be interesting to see if Wilmot can extract a little bit more out of Jared in that regard. All right, and it's obviously... Well, he's certainly done lots of good with the current players, so... All right, and it's obvious that... Um, it... Whilst Brad Arthur has said that he's going to be playing somewhere in the back line, he hasn't uh, obviously indicated yet, and it'll come down to pre-season. One would assume that Gutherson and French uh, have the monopoly on the full-back position, so Jared is probably I looking think, at playing centre or wing. Centre's the, the safe bet, yeah. Uh, and speaking of Brad, actually, I did enjoy the two times in the last week that he got in the front foot to really put the the, the, the smack down on a couple of media rumours. The first when... Um, both Ennis and Sterlow sort of had a go at the Eels for signing Hayne instead of a prop. And he was out there, both um, TCT and Arnold.com had articles on the matter about how, hang on a second, you know, we've signed Jared Hayne, but we've still got money for a prop. So don't go, you know, blowing your, your loads just yet about criticising us. And then obviously the follow-up to that was after signing Jared, there's no way the Eels can keep Corey Norman. And he was straight there in the Daily Telegraph, you know, telling him, I don't know what you're talking about, about this, you know, rift between myself and Corey. You know, there's no such thing there. So, I'm interested it, it, to see who Hayne's going to partner up with in the centres, you know, like, on his wing. Is it going to be French? The, the media see... report was Jared to... That's right, right Jared's center, a right centre. The, the one that... So... Uh, Greg Lillessie, well, right That's wing. right. Yes, he so is right French wing. as well. So can you imagine that side? That's right. So the, the actual shootout in the wing's interesting because Bevan has been traditionally on the right wing when he's played there for Parramatta, but that was because 
in in probably in some capacity because Semi, you know, completely owned the left edge. So how the Parramatta backline plays out is very much up in the air at the moment. So I'll I'll go out and say Gufferson at fullback is probably the one thing that's locked uh, locked in because uh, he's making fantastic recovery from his ACL injury. But from there, I mean, Jennings left or right, Hayne left or right, and then Bevan on one wing, but which wing I'm not sure. You'd think right, but you never know. It depends on who's the best winger opposite him, probably. All right, and on the tip sheet, I have uh, Paul Kent's rant. I don't want to get too much into it because I think everybody's given this enough air as it is, and we all know what a oxygen thief Paul Kent is. Um, but on to that, I thought uh, he does make good points about you know what a nominated value should be given by the NRL. But his second point that we're somehow rorting the cap to bring Hain that's, back, I think, you know, that's it's it's far and above. That is vintage, vintage Paul Kent. He's an absolute obnoxious wanker going on a stupid tirade, but he does make one or two decent points. That is just, that is him in a nutshell on NRL 360 and in the Daily Telegraph. He, he actually has some good core concepts in his rants, but geez, he can get, he can just let either personal vendetta or the, you know, trying to drag him quicks, uh, drag him away from... And it's quite a big call to make, considering that Max Donnelly is still the third-party administrator that's been that's put right. into that um, position. Uh, you, that's a you, very, would, very you, would, you wouldn't expect a third-party yes. administrator to be doing dodgy deals, um, considering that's their accreditation on the line, which could result in civil plus criminal penalties, plus, you know, taking away their livelihood, I think... Um, you know that's a, it's a disgusting remark to make. Um, I know that in 2016, and we, we we cheated the cap and we paid the price for that. But it's a completely different administration at this point in time, and I think um, Kenny uh, needs to, to to at least apologise for those comments. Yeah, and yet they, they you should, have they, you have Matt you Lodge me. coming out and to not yeah. uh, and turning down a half a million a year contract. That, that's where I was going to go. Is that it's yeah. the inconsistency from the the media coverage that really grinded the gears of a lot of Parramatta fans. You know, it's kind of like why why Parramatta, but obviously with Kent, it's personal in regards to his history with the club. Between a his feud with Sturlo and then b his own short-lived uh, first grade, and also his years. feud with Jared Hayne. But there's yeah, yes, and that, that's right from twenty from twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen, the feud with Jared. So obviously it's personal, and, and it was a great chance to sort of throw some shadow at Jared as a, a secondary motive. But See, this is yes. where it worries me because Hayne went up to the NFL, right? And over there, they say what they want, to be honest. And now he's come back to the NRL. He has to dial it down a bit. And he's, he's still, like, like, even when he came back, he, like how he talked to the media, he treated them like, you know, second-class second citizens. But he didn't treat them with respect. I, I think his feud with the Australian media goes back to when he actually departed and in regards to some of the coverage that Parramatta got back in the day. Um, and he sort of lashed out. But anyway, I think that's that's sort of beside the point here. It's the inconsistency in the, cur- in the coverage of the whole taking less than market value storyline that rolled up a lot of fans. And as Bertie pointed out, Matt Lodge, you know, was rumoured to have had a, a significant deal on the table from Newcastle, and yet he's gone been registered for eighty five thousand dollars or whatever the minimum wage is moving into twenty eighteen. Corbin Sims. <laughs> he can pay his legal fees, and he's just had a kid. So, like, he's telling me he's on eighty thousand a year. It's it's ridiculous, you know. He's going to be starting to prop, right? You know, with a good couple of years, maybe three, four years, he could play for New South Wales one day. Right upstairs. That's it. Uh, that's a flamethrower for another birdie hot take. 
<laughs> come on. Come on. Yeah, and I mean, and like you said, you don't want to give it too much space because Kent is deliberately being inflammatory to try and get the the views, the clicks, the conversation going. And it's I won't, I won't say it's a non-story because uh, the idea of notional value is so inconsistently applied in the NRL and it only rears its head in you know really controversial and you know, almost obnoxious situations. So it's gonna it's gonna come up again, I think, because the NRL hasn't outlaid their their rules for notional value in iron in black and white. So the next time there's a marquee player that's going to try and sign for less than what would notional value be, you can imagine there'll be a few raw if they then get told they can't have it. But it's poor Kent being poor Kent. What more can you say? I don't think we're going to be stupid enough to cheat the cap again. No, we're like we're like uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be second guessed and second. Uh, we're going to be strict by the NRL. They're going to be investigating. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about losing your NRL license is the sort of magnitude of the, the punishment if you get caught cheating the cap again after what we did. Exactly. And, and as Hamish pointed out, with a third-party administrator that has a very vested interest in making sure that this club is run properly and doesn't you know go over any boundaries or lines that they shouldn't go, it's a pretty serious allegation that Paul Kent's making that the Eels are probably cheating or it stinks, as he said. All right, well, let's move on from um, from those statements to um, something a bit brighter. Um, we alluded to uh, football being back on in February next year, and coming with that is the announcement of uh, a trial match between Newcastle and Parramatta to be played at Maitland's number one sports ground on the 24th of February 2018. Um, now, this takes place where our usually tr- usual trial match would against Penrith, but considering we're paying, playing Penrith twice in the first six rounds... They've uh, made a move to play uh, Newcastle up at Newcastle. Uh, we don't have a time yet um, to be announced, but there will be five matches played, which will be the under-16s, the under-18s, the under-20s, reserve grade, and then, of course, the main event, which will be the NRL match. Tickets are currently $20 for the grandstand seating and $10 for general admission. Um, with these trials matches, usually we you can grab a ticket on the day, um, and kids under twelve get in for free. All right, what's what's your take on this trial, boys? I'm I'm pretty excited for this. Uh, you you know, it's a departure from the traditional uh, Alice Springs trial that is our first uh, Alice Springs and then Penrith trial. Formwell, sorry, you mentioned that it's it's replacing the Penrith trial, uh, but it, it's something different. And we're coming up against a team that is such a question mark right now. I mean, they've made so many moves in free agency. And they've added so much talent and depth to the roster. No one really knows where the Newcastle Knights are at. And uh, it'll be awesome to get one of the first looks at them. And I know that you can't read too much of a trial, but it's just going to be exciting to see how we are in, in regards to consolidating from our fantastic campaign in 2017 and where the Knights are as far as being contenders for the top eight. And as Ron just said in the chat, friend of the podcast, Ham Sandwich, Will be yeah, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably be hitching a ride from down up there. I'll, I'll be up there as well, boys. I'm going with one of my Newcastle fans, yeah, uh, friends. Me, myself, myself, Hamish, and uh, one of my other mates from the football, um, old Joe, or Joe Borgs, as he's affectionately like, likes to be known as. He doesn't uh, made the trip up there. I think it was a couple of years back. Yeah, it must be a couple of years back because we um, we had the uh, the Manu twins playing in the twenties that year, and that was a fun day. Got to watch uh, the twenties and Wenty play a couple of. Uh, exciting games for the preseason in regards to how close the contests were. Now, don't forget, this is at Maitland Stadium as opposed to Marathon Stadium, their regular uh, ground. Yeah. So um, don't get those too confused. Um, but I'm making a weekend out of it. My nan lives up there, so I'll go stop and visit her. 
<laughs> so so it'll be interesting to see if uh, Newcastle play, you know, Pro Pierce and Ponga, like, you know, full strength squad. You know, this the, this is the premier trial. That's correct. Is that right, Hamish? This is the what's considered the number so one trial. Usually we play so... our best team in the Penrith game. And yeah. We've had you know, a couple of injuries that game and it just, it's bad luck. Uh, I don't like it. You know, we had Hayne do his hamstring on knee. Yeah, that was, that was that was a big one. Uh, Kieran Foran obviously had the, the issues in his head of his hammies, I think, more than yeah. anything else. And then you had the manner of a facial injury, you know, like it just yeah. it seems like they go hard. Because it's yeah, well, usually you'll get 40 minutes of the, <laughs> the first grade squad and then reserve graders will come on for the second, or well, most of the second half. Oh, yeah, that, that's actually an interesting point because our trial this year against Penrith was a cracking game. Like, it was played to an NRL standard, and that's probably why there were a, a few um, bumps and bruises that come out of it. Well, I think it was on. I think it was on Fox Sports as well. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it was like on Fox win. Sports because. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, there's no word on whether it's going to be streamed by the clubs or whether it's going to be on Fox Sports um, this year, but we'll just have to wait until a bit yeah, closer. If not, um, maybe Forty can rig up a, uh, a live stream himself. If if there's if there's no official stream, I will approach the club about it. But the digital rights are pretty watertight these days, and it, it can get a bit of a you know, sort of like landmine-ridden area to get to navigate through. So, knock on wood that we get an official one because that's obviously the best quality. But I, I will try and explore avenues for an amateur stream. All right, and one last bit of news is the Eels are up on a week's trip to the um, Northern Territory this week. Um, there's been a lot of banter on social media today. Um, but coming out of that was a report on Channel 9 just before we went to air uh, about Norman saying that, you know, uh, the signing of Harrod, Jared Hayne will just uh, increase um, competition for spots, and that can only be a good thing, whereas the lead-in for the news... So, so of course... Yeah, exactly. The lead-in for the story was who's getting moved on, and this week there's been... I think everybody in the team has been uh, rumoured to move on. <laughs> I think everyone's fine with Newcastle. They're going to have about 100 people. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, Norman to Sharks, but everybody else to Newcastle. I heard, I heard Norman to Manly. That's what the media were telling me. Yeah, oh, I, I the, saw that too. This is... It's, it's just been like... See, this is the problem with the majority of our fan base is they hear something, they latch onto it, and they just they just take it as gospel. Like, can, can we just take take half a minute to actually go through the rumours that we've heard in the last week since Jared signed. Cause okay, we, I, I, I can tell you all. Cause Run I, through I, it, Ricky. So it was there we go. Be- there, Bevan, it was Bevan French to the Tigers. It was Michael Jennings to the Knights. It was Clint Gutherson to, back to Manly. It was Corey Norman to Manly. It was also Corey Norman to the Titans. And I think they were the five main ones. And then, oh, and then, oh, and then just people speculating in general, like, you know, Oh, Hoffman's going to leave, or Takarangi's going to leave, and people are even saying that Vave and Vave or Matangi are going to leave. And it's just like, what, what? What do you guys read? Like, why do you of believe this stuff? Rumors, the only one that makes any remote sense in the context of trying to fit um, five, uh, six players into five is Hoffman. Exactly. Yeah. Even then, he's, he's enjoying a, a really strong preseason, and you look at his post on social media, and he's you know having a right with the team. So, I thought he'd, he would make a swap deal with Titans, you know, with Hayne and him. Because that, that, that was what the Sydney Morning Herald via Adrian Prashenko were reporting at one point, was that there was a potential for Hoffman to be on the block to trade for Hayne. But, you know, obviously nothing came out of that. It's just amazing. And this is after Brad Arthur has come out and said, we've signed Jared Hayne, we've got $500,000 left to sign a prop or any other marquee player that comes onto the market. 
We have two more roster spots left in our top 30 if we so choose to use them instead of, you know, promoting any other of our young talent into one of those spots. You know, we're, we're literally one of the clubs in the healthiest position roster-wise, and yet you get half a dozen rumours in the space of half a week that are saying we're going to lose our entire back line. It's oh, just amazing how Parramatta can spin the news cycle. It's well, the amazing. good thing is they're in Alice Springs right now, so they're away from the media speculation. As long as Norman's staying away from the CC oh, draws. Sure, I mean. um, all right, well, I think that'll wrap us up for this week. Um, let's get straight in. Uh, we're not going to be back until the new year once the, the, the Harold Mats and everything and the... Um, the the trial matches start to come along. Um, again, we've now rebranded to Power Podcast as opposed to Start of the League. Um, so you can find us on Twitter at Power Podcast. And uh, there's a couple of little rebrands there. Um, now, everybody else onto their plugs straight into Birdie. Yeah, just my Twitter. They haven't, haven't won. The Cowboys won. They beat the Redskins. And, <laughs> and the Eagles Dak lost too. Dak is back. Oh, hell yeah. Thank you. Go for the, the Seahawks. Russell Wilson MVP, baby. Oh, Wentz. <laughs> he had he had some good plays though. Uh, you can cut that out. Straight on to forty. Oh, that that throw that one kills. Uh, and forty. Uh, as always, the Cumberland throw. So you can catch us on Twitter at EaglesTCT or at thecumberlandthrow.com. And uh, this week, sixties uh, is continuing his awesome preseason coverage. He's gone into depth on the impact that Lock and Wilmot's had in the team, as well as the incredible disharmony and and the uh, you know rife with angst and aggression between the coaches and the playing staff that's you know been happening at training obviously called the media i myself have finally got out of my um hibernation for content making and i dropped my um first piece of the rise of the blue and golden west which is the brad arthur future Res- retrospective which um chronicles brad arthur's uh, rise through the Parramatta Eels, uh both on a historical sense and then what his impact the team has transitioned to identity wise in part two and what bodes for us and on to you uh ricky yeah, just the usual, just nrlnews.com or just nrlnews on Twitter. Also, something something different for the for the Eels fans. The play interviews are back, so I've had I've had a chat with Shane Muspratt, a former Eel, and Tulsa Tollett's interview is coming up in the next couple of days. So he was certainly nice. a a polarizing Eels figure. So keep an eye out for that one, and yeah enjoy the read and the memories that it may or may not provide alright well cheers boys until the new year thanks again and um, we'll catch you for another look into Parramatta Eels next year on the Para Podcast Merry Christmas boys Merry Christmas